BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. So we're going to get to this a little bit early with Danny's impending parental leave. We probably need to talk about it now. And while having a replacement can work for some things, having the replacement tell us what Danny was thinking about his over-unders probably isn't going to work very well. So I, I don't know. This year, this year might make me feel better. Um <laughs> But but that's that's not the way these things go. Uh, well, so obviously some of these are yet to be decided. How many are you feeling like pretty secure about at this point are done or done adjacent? There are 14 that are already completed. So we can we can mark those off uh, as already handled. And then there are, I would say there are probably only about five that are really, truly up in the air. The others are like significant enough aberration. We're roughly 10 to 12 games away from the end of the season. Like it could happen the other way, but I wouldn't expect it to. So we're we're getting there. I would say we're I would say we're feeling we're feeling pretty solid about it. There's, a, for example, there are only four over-unders in the entire league or five, I guess, where the current projection on Raptor is within two and a half or two and a half or closer to the um to the original over under so though those ones yeah you could argue that's truly up in the air everything beyond that yeah pretty well settled all right let's get rolling here then and uh, i guess we can just start in the east we usually go in alphabetical order here the atlanta hawks preseason over under was 46 and a half you and i both took the under on that they currently project for 41 wins as of march 19th as we are recording this so that would be five and a half almost no chance that they are going to get to 47 wins here in fact are they they got to be like they would have to go like 11 and one or something it's it's really it's really close because i i keep a very i keep a very strict line on like has it actually happened versus is it extremely likely um just at this early stage because obviously everything was up yeah it is very very unlikely that the atlanta hawks get it yeah and so uh, this was one of the ones let me see what i had for my my preseason prediction for them was 45 wins uh, Brad Rowland had 47 uh, when he came on the show to do it. So it seemed like most people had this team in kind of the mid 40s. And you also had the under as well. What was your thinking at the time? I didn't completely buy the theory of the team, like the idea that they would be 
that, you know, that have that kind of, in some ways it was the floor more than the ceiling and the commensurate quality, like the offense being good when Trey Young was on the floor, which was actually not true at the beginning of the season. I had confidence in that, but whether the defense could really get up to stuff, I didn't think that the synergy between Trey Young and DeJounte Murray would be seamless. And also it was partially not the biggest fan of Nate McMillan as a coach, especially incorporating challenging pieces. Like that was not something that I thought of particularly for him. I picked Nate McMillan as one of the most likely coaches to be the first fired for similar reasons. And and part of it was the Hawks failing to live up to expectations, which I think is fair to say that they did. Yeah, and there's no real luck here. They're 35 and 35 right now. Their expected wins is 40. For the full season. So the, yeah, for the full seasons, it will cite that a, a fair amount. And so, yeah, I mean, they're basically right at a neutral point differential and a neutral team. I was actually a little bit higher on their defense. Uh, and the Hawks defense is at 21st, but, you know, within a point or so of league average. So that's been like a mild disappointment to me. And But for someone who put this team together, clearly they thought, hey, we'll get an offensive monster here. We're going to solve our problem with the backup point guard issue with DeJounte Murray will be better when Trey's off the floor and our defense will get a lot better because we added DeJounte Murray in the perimeter and I just don't think either of those things has really ended up being true in the end and that they kind of just moved laterally and I, I think they just kind of like Murray was I mean like I don't even think he's had like a disappointing season in terms of like what I would have expected or his stats but just in terms of his effect on the team you would have to say it's disappointing and then there's shooting has been atrocious all year that's why i felt like this group wasn't going to be that good and that they had maybe more downside than upside because they just wouldn't be able to make threes and that's been the case too it has and that's you know that's a part of why they're currently 13th in offense as opposed to being better is that they not only was it you know putting in DeJounte Murray but also letting straight up letting Kevin Herter go and remember Bojan Bogdanovic missed an extended right. portion well they of the didn't season. let him go they traded him well, to they traded for, but for a they, for a middling first rounder for the king yes we will have to and we'll have to see when that conveys we of course have plenty of stuff on that so yeah I, I think that by and large our assessment you know because a lot of times you're the beauty of over-unders is you're assessing relative to the convent a reasonable proxy of conventional wisdom even though that's not rigidly how over under is set and you and i were both lower on the hawks and that over that under looks like it's going to cash well here's the other thing too like they've actually been healthier than expected i was very sure. worried about bogdan bogdanovich he actually was not ready to start the season as i think everyone knew at that time but he's played 44 games he's basically been healthy and back and himself shooting 40 percent from three that he's actually helped them a lot back when they were shooting like 32 percent from three to team now they're up to 35 percent like they're actually getting to be decent but in theory they're four more most important players at least uh in terms of the organization's commitment to them if not how good they are uh Dejounte, Trey, Hunter, Collins, and Capella. Capella's, Capella's missed about eighteen, I think, but that's that's yeah. reasonable. Yeah. So, and given like he had kind of had these Achilles issues as well, but their depth has been pretty miserable. Uh, they haven't even really been that much better since they got Sadiq Bay either. You know, that was adding another piece. We worried about their rookies not being ready back up forward. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think if, if anything, I was probably still a little too high on these guys. Um, you, you know, I think your th- what you said about the coaching is really important too, where Nate McMillan really had them leaning into the mid-rangers to have the worst location effective field goal percentage for large swaths of this year when you have trey young on your team who just feeds more layups and dunks than anybody and also in theory is a a three-point shooter who takes a lot of threes and sets up threes for people that's that's pretty poor it is the boston celtics 
I don't remember exactly. So we recorded this on September 25th. I, I believe that was kind of as the Ime Udoka stuff was shaking out. Um, the over-under line was set at 53 and a half. It looked for an extended period of time like the Celtics were going to fly past this over. They are still projected to win 56. I still think they're going to go over. The Celtics have the differential of a 55-win team, so that would be over as well. So this one isn't certain, but it is it is trending that direction. You and I both picked the over. Yeah, and they should continue to run through the tape here because they're going to be fighting probably with Philly for the two seed most of the rest of the way here. And it just seemed, even with uh, the uncertainty of Robert Williams the third, I don't think actually when I did my... We may have known about this actually when we did the over-unders. I don't think we knew about this when we first recorded with Jared Weiss doing my prediction for them. And then, of course, the other thing that caused their over-under to go down, they this is the only one we had to get from DraftKings because they're off the board on William Hill. This happened right after the Udoka news. So that lowered them down a little bit. I think also maybe the Robert Williams news came out around that point. So at one point, I think their over-under was like 55, 56 and then it moved down to 53 and a half. But I, I still, those two pieces of news weren't enough to make me significantly reduce what I thought of them. They have been relatively, but not ridiculously healthy so far. And I had heard good things about Joe Missoula. I thought that they could keep things going well enough. Uh, I thought their defense would really carry them, which has kind of been true. I mean, they've had a weird year. Like they've gotten to this where, you know, they had a month and a half of like the greatest offense in NBA history. And that obviously has calmed down now. Actually, you would say Tatum, Brown, like a lot of their main guys are actually shooting more poorly from three than would have been expected but i felt like these guys just had too much talent like to get to 54 i thought they were the most likely team in the league to really blow through it it looked like it was going to happen it didn't but there's like they had clearly plenty of margin for error yeah and as you mentioned they've been pretty healthy overall this year the celtics is recording this fourth on offense fourth on defense and they're pretty much performing to their differential so this is we expected this to be a very good team. They are a very good team. Next up is our first disagreement of this over-under, both when we recorded it and as we're discussing it now. The Brooklyn Nets over-under set at 49 and a half, and you went under. It was the idea, as I recall, was that this is it's, 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 a, re, it's a possible number, but an ambitious one. I just thought they had too much talent to, to get through that with Kyrie, with Kevin Durant, and it looks like the Brooklyn Nets are going to get fairly close. So, I will I will tentatively concede defeat here. I don't think the Nets are going to win 50. It's a, it'd be a it'd be a pretty big lift from this point. Yeah, considering that they would have to only lose two games the rest of the way yeah i think we can probably salt this one in the books for me and they're at 39 and 31 right now and you said they have too much talent and you're correct no they certainly they basically during the period that they had their team whole and obviously they moved down from steve nash which helped as well but they had that 18 and 2 stretch but there are two things that i felt were gonna fix it so they didn't get the over one of course was health well, then katie goes down the second of course was sanity and just the overall instability and first there was the Kyrie anti-semitic sharing and failure to apologize and then of course the trade request which utterly torpedoed the whole thing and certainly the idea of KD or him being traded was priced into me going under as well I was just like yeah everything could go right for these guys and it wasn't even really about what I thought this team was on the court as well and so uh, I will take my little victory lap on this one it happened exactly the way I thought it would or, or was likely to at least it turns out that betting on the dysfunction of that iteration of the Brooklyn Nets was a very profitable thing and 
I, it's it's so fascinating that you could you could process what has happened there in so many different ways. In some way, I mean, I'm obviously disappointed. You know, want to see great basketball, want to see great basketball players. But like, I don't know. They got out of those trades looking reasonable. You wish that they never had to happen. But like, it, it is it is an interesting point. And also, like another reason for me to be further like acknowledging this is that the Nets currently have the differential of a 43 win team. So they've been outperforming the differential. They should be a little bit further below this mark than they are probably going to be. Yeah, they, that 18 and two run did have a, a number of big clutch performances that, that pushed them on a, a little bit. But yeah, I mean, when they were whole, they were way better than I, I wouldn't say way better than I thought they'd be, but they gave us more on defense, like Nick Claxton emerging. And oh, the I, I totally forgot, Danny. The other reason to be low on them was uh uncertainty around around uh ben simmons oh boy <laughs> back when, when it's he's fallen so far that at this point you can't even remember that he was like supposed to be the third best player on this team and possibly return to an all-star level right and and in some ways <laughs> the heat the heat on simmons at least for people in our point of this diminished when nick claxton was as good as he's been because yeah. they couldn't have really played those guys together realistically even if ben simmons had been better and claxton has outperformed him remember we had those conversations like two three weeks into ben simmons tenure where it's like claxton's better than he is and if, if claxton hadn't been at this level then the, they would have been down the river earlier maybe not in terms of trades but in terms of their overall level of play so this is easily our biggest fuck up now we didn't know at this point that Lamelo ball was going to essentially not have a season and they've had moments of competence under steve clifford i think there was a feeling that he would be an upgrade for them on the defensive end we knew at this point that miles bridges you know because they won 43 games last year and they had i think a top six offense and they were a great shooting team we knew that miles bridges situation was uncertain we didn't know for sure that he wasn't going to play certainly but it, it seems like a, a reasonable bet at that point so the question of all right how, it was basically the same team so we're like well what is how many wins is miles bridges worth and i was like well i don't think he's worth eight wins I mean, so what are these guys, what's their point differential? Like, where where would they have kind of, like, been headed, do you think, if Lamella had been healthy all year? Well, so, so the the good news is that the offense has been significantly better when Lamella Ball has been on the floor. 113.2, cleaning the glass offensive rating, is markedly better than roughly a 107 in this offensive environment when he's out. But the Hornets were outscored by 5.5 points per hundred. And so if you want to extrapolate that out, like the with LaMelo Ball minutes being outscored by 5.5, that's there isn't actually a team generally in that range, but you know the team that's closest is the current Charlotte Hornets, who have the differential of a twenty-eight win, or twenty-six win team. So like they were, they weren't as good in those minutes as I expected. I believe there were some overlapping injuries when Lamelo was available, but they weren't as good as I expected and hoped in those minutes, small as they were. These guys are shooting thirty-two point seven percent from three as a team this year, and that that's something that I will say I don't really think was particularly predictable, right? Like Terry Rozier shooting. That same 32.7%. PJ Washington, 35. Kelly Oubre, yeah, he was over his head the way he shot last year. He's 32%. Gordon Hayward, always a pretty good shooter. He's not even really taking very many threes anymore. And oh, by the way, he was essentially played 46 games. It's probably about as you could much as you could hope. Uh, but he's a 32%. Jay McDaniels is a 32%. Dennis Smith Jr., not at all a three-point shooter. He's had to be in, in their rotation. Cody Martin hasn't played at all the entire season. That I think has hurt them too. 
And they've just had a lot of minutes from guys who just were not really NBA players. But I mean, the biggest thing, again, for these guys to be 30th on offense, my when I went through and I, I always do this, I'm not that good at it, but I, I think it's always interesting. I had Charlotte in a tier between like ninth and 19th. So I thought they would be average ish, maybe slightly above average on offense. I did foresee them taking a step back. But not to this extent where they're like 30th and have been at the bottom all year. Yeah. And they're they're more than a point clear of the Rockets for 30th. Yeah. It's not even like, oh, they're right in the middle of a bunch or anything like that. So, yeah, we'll, t- we'll take we'll take the L on this one. And yeah, I, I mean, some of these guys had shot a little better, you know, maybe they'd be in the mid range. Their defense actually is 20th, which I think is pretty remarkable that they're actually that good. Like the Steve Clifford effect actually is pretty real. Now, I know they were similar to that last year, but he's had, you know, I think part of what the difference is, too, is he's hasn't played pj washington at center at all this year and that was one thing that they really went to a lot last year and so that's juiced their defense probably but obviously has hurt their offense as well and but they haven't had as enough healthy wings to play bj washington at center either so yeah all right that's enough of that but we missed by that much and they're going to be 10 and a half worse than this over under and this is one of the most underperforming teams although hilariously we will get to the team that's like the biggest on on track to be the biggest underperformer soon which i am shocked by let's get to the chicago bulls last year's team went 46 and 36 and their over under is set at 42 and a half i'm sure a lot of people thought oh well that's that that's pretty pretty obvious to go there but you and i always harp on this the bulls had the differential in that 46 win season of a 40 win team they were actually outscored during that year demar Derozan was the best clutch player in the league and there were concerns it was an ensemble cast we knew lonzo ball was going to miss time we did not know at that point that he was going to miss the full season so you and i both picked the under you actually picked it as your favorite under because as it turned out our best bets were all overs I had it as close in consideration there. We picked the under, and it's not set in stone yet. They're projected for 39, so there's a three-and-a-half win discrepancy, but I am I feel reasonably confident the Bulls are going to go under. Yeah, they would have to go on a hell of a run, obviously, to get past there. At this point, Chicago already has 37 losses, so they could only lose three more games the rest of the way, which I think that they do. And it's been, if you ever needed an example of why you... You shouldn't throw your chips in on clutch overperformers continuing it. I mean, some of the biggest clutch overperforming teams that we've seen, Phoenix, we'll get to them. They've totally underperformed in the clutch this year. In part two, the fact they haven't had the team for a lot of them. Chicago, huge clutch overperformer last year. This year, they are tied for the biggest clutch underperformer, having lost 4.6 games fewer than expected, or, or 4.6 games more than expected, sorry. Uh, so they actually, <clears throat> their point differential is on track to be right out this over under but they've underperformed so this is it's been really interesting now a big part of why i also went for the under was the uncertainty around lonzo ball's health i think i thought if he played half the season they should consider themselves lucky and this is one of those ones where the pessimism was justified he's not going to play a single second this season and well and yeah. one of the other factors though i mean that obviously a huge uh disappointment for the bulls vucevic played basically the whole season levine has had some absence but he's already at 66 games so he should go well over 70 and then DeMar DeRozan's at 64 so like their key players have been healthy and Alex Caruso's missed time you know some of their support defensive players but if we're talking relative to their brethren the Bulls have actually been a healthy team this year if you especially if you scale it on the importance of their roster and you know overall Chicago being 
21st on on offense that's of course a disappointment but being fifth on defense like that's a, a pretty big surprise and well, so they've they've gotten lucky there though we've talked yes. about that in the past they're 27th in location uh, effective field goal percentage defensively and they it's not even that they have like great rim protection they're average there in terms of opponents shooting at the rim uh but opponents can't make a jumper from mid-range all season uh, and opponents are also shooting 34 percent on corner threes the, the overall numbers aren't that different from the league average but that in particular those are supposed to be the most uh, efficient ones that are giving up a lot of those more threes so uh, they they've gotten lucky i think like they their offense is underperformed to me but they have absolutely no shooting on this team outside of zach levine and vuchu's actually had a, a better offensive season that's like basically it as far as shooting on this team and lonzo was so important there so uh, they i mean i still feel pretty good about picking this under i know what their point differential says i still think that 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 point differential doesn't necessarily provide a good indicator of what this team was and as you mentioned other than lonzo they've been very helpful. next up is the cleveland cavaliers they won 44 games last year had that fall off to eventually not make the playoffs and their over-under was set at 47 and a half. I picked it as my single best bet on the board because adding Donovan Mitchell, getting the internal development, this was a very young team. I also had hoped that they would figure out the small forward position. That hasn't quite happened yet. Cleveland has not formally gone over yet, but they're 45 and 28. They So the 538 projection is 51 wins. They have the differential of a 56-win team. So I'm pretty happy with, with my call there. The Cleveland Cavaliers have the number one net rating in the NBA, and they probably are going to get there. They, have, of course, tied with Chicago having won 4.6 games fewer than expected. And yeah, I mean, number nine, I, I think we knew they would be really good on defense. When I went through and did my defense tiers, I thought they would definitely be top 10, maybe not top five, but they have been top five. And then, yeah, to get to 10th on offense with this group, given their lack of shooting, it is very impressive. And they've been relatively healthy throughout the year. They've had some injury issues, but they're top four guys, but their top four guys are all young, which is part of it, uh, have uh, been relatively healthy and they haven't really had that many other guys that matter <laughs> they've shuffled in that cast uh, in and out of the rotation quite a bit so yeah i mean for them to be now this is we have seen these teams that have like a utah that's underperformed its point differential consistently and that maybe there is something about some of these teams that they blow out certain teams more than expected and that doesn't necessarily correlate as well but I, i'm inclined not to think that so but this is the second year in a row that they've been way below what they're point differential would have indicated but yeah i mean they're going to get there almost certainly unless that they have a catastrophic injury issue to be they're projected for 51 so yeah that would 47 and a half 48 and a half would have been a tough call for me i think but 47 and a half i, I went overall so i wasn't as confident as you just because we hadn't seen the whole group together and i think that was actually a good note of caution for me overall in some of these circumstances to just go a little bit under expectations when you just haven't seen it yet from this group but uh, yeah, I, I mean, there uh, Donovan Mitchell has been awesome all, all year. Like, and JB Bickerstaff is proving himself to be a pretty good coach. So yeah, this was one where uh, definitely the over seems pretty. I don't want to say obvious in retrospect, but the right call clearly. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 20. 20- 
15. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences, hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz, find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door, free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100 night trial. They're 10 to 15 year warranty, depending on the model. And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy to slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years. And it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside these things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us the detroit pistons a year ago went 23 <laughs> and 59 they had a negative eight differential they troy weaver was intending to significantly improve for this year they brought in alec burks 
They were did have some young guys that they intended to play, like Jalen Duran and of course Kate Cunningham and yeah. Jay Jay Nivey. Jay well. Nivey and and the, but they they had Jeremy Grant. They had Nerlens Noel, who maybe could potentially well, well, play. Grant, Grant they they didn't have. His oh, name. Grant, that's right. He had already been traded. I just in my mind, I always think of him as a piston. Congratulations, Jeremy Grant. <laughs> hey, maybe um, he'll be maybe he'll be back there. That's he very well could be. Caps. And and so so the over under set at twenty nine and a half. And you and I both didn't buy it. I actually picked it as my favorite under on the board. And as of the time we're recording this, the Detroit Pistons are underperforming their differential or sorry, underperforming their over under by the most in the NBA. Now that's fucking impressive right there to have an over under under 30 and still be underperforming by the most. And and they could, they might not even get to 18. It's honestly, what are they at right now? 15. They're like, 16 and 55. Yeah. And I mean, the funny thing about this team, I, I know Cade that like Cade in theory, like, like that was obviously a big blow to them, but I think even with Cade on the floor, they had like a negative six, net rating and you know he was 49 percent true shooting the shin uh, torpedoed his season and of course i think he ended up playing something along the lines of 12 13 games in the end but even i mean that the guy that's your best player and i think the the first part of the season when anyone everyone is trying is one of the better indicators of how good your team is so and you'll recall even with Cade's struggles that without burks early on they were like a negative 20 when Cade was off the floor (laughs) So, yeah. And so to be at a negative six with your best player on the floor, and we just saw it with Cleveland, right? Like a plus six, that's like a mid-50s win team. Negative six is a mid-50s loss team. So they still would have been under by quite a bit, I think, even had Cade been healthy and had a better year. And the biggest reason why I went under on them, I, I think I picked them for like 27 wins. I thought they could be decent defensively. And that's been the biggest issue for them as they have, uh, that's been a huge huge disappointment but you mentioned that they had all these rookies just like rookies suck they always suck there are like two or three rookies every year that actually contribute to winning basketball and very few of them are guys that are drafted high because usually the way that you develop those guys is you give them as much rope as they can handle like a Jaden Ivey and they go out and they suck and they suck in a big role like you're not going to draft Jaden Ivey to play him 15 minutes off the bench in like matchups that work for him you're going to throw him out there into the deep end and it's going to be bad overall I think the Pistons like K Cunningham huge huge disappointment in terms of his availability Bogdanovich largely healthy until this recent stuff and let's just say they might and and he's been great yeah he's played better than the only reason that they've even won this many games is because like Bogdanovich and Alec Burks have been awesome exactly and they did get less from Marvin Bagley though the idea that they were leaning heavily on Marvin Bagley (laughs) was always going to be a problem there there Um, you go that's the excuse (laughs) Marvin Bagley wasn't healthy yeah he's only played 33 games I would say to some extent it's been a disappointing year for for Isaiah Stewart though the evaluation context is a little bit there but yeah I mean it's this this should be a bitter pill to swallow and I like one of the things that I kind of go back to is if I ran a te- if I owned a team this is different than if I ran a team would this prompt me to think about the person I have running the team and the answer is yes because they were trying to be better this was not an intended tank this is an accidental tank and the process if it's not because of injuries and yes a certain component Kate Cunningham being out that is is a factor here but when you're trying to be good and you're abysmal 
then that there's some sort of failure there. And I don't think it was coaching in this circumstance. I think Dwayne Casey's done a fine job. And so I would be looking, I would be looking at that. That's not saying I would fire Troy Weaver immediately or anything like that, but it, this is the type of season that should give an owner pause. Well, and I would say particularly because the, the plan was just so weird. Like if they're going to try to win games this year, why don't you just hold on to Jeremy Grant? It's not like they got some amazing package for him. And yeah, I mean, I guess part of what you got was the salary relief, which then enabled you to get the 13th pick and get Durden. But I think once you made that deal, and I, I would even say the Bogdanovich trade, like they they gave up very little to get him and they signed him to an extension that, I mean, I think they're going to get something for him in the offseason they probably should have already gotten something for him and Bogdanovich is a guy who can spread the floor for the players that you're trying to develop but I mean to me it's really more about the just signing a billion big men aspect and like Killian Hayes they still had him penciled into a rotation role like signing another veteran guard might have helped although Burks was kind of supposed to be that right like Killian Hayes if Cunningham and Burks were healthy which they basically never were at the same time then maybe Hayes would have been in a smaller role or more of a third point guard type of role and same with, with Corey joseph and, and jay nivy yeah well yeah, ivy still would have been <laughs> he still would have been prominent i guess yeah so but yeah if you just go through the rotation guys on this team i've always thought they're gonna be terrible on offense but i thought they could actually defend kind of mid-pack and they were at that point at times last year and they just managed to be 28th this year but right like they they brought in you know marvin bagley Jaden duran and now james wiseman as your bigs hey probably not gonna be able to defend it's a thought <laughs> then you know Bogdanovich as your like I guess wing stopper like Sadiq Bey. It, it's not. It's not like they have a. It's not like they have a ton of sharks on the perimeter, which could potentially lighten the load for those bigs. That that's not the yeah. way this team exists. And I think even just missing Cade defensively hurt, hurt them too. It did. Let's get to Indiana here and. I'm kicking myself because in my initial, one of the earlier podcasts that I did was with Caitlin Cooper. And I actually had them winning like in the high 20s. I might have had them like 29 wins or something. And I was kind of buying into what they did with Halliburton and Miles Turner was going to be back. And, and Carla is a good coach. And I thought they just had like more talent than your Detroit's and Houston's and San Antonio's of the world. And Caitlin, uh, she, I think, had them was higher than their over under two, which was like in the 26, 27 range. And I, she kind of like convinced me and just seeing what the over under was i was like all right i'm probably too high on these guys obviously i wasn't they, they they're on pace to win 36 they probably won't get there they'll probably end up having to shut guys down a little bit but uh definitely it should have even leaned in harder the idea that they could be competent based on how well halberton played when he came over last year but i mean this is also kind of a lesson of like 22 and a half seemed like just an absurd yeah i i made a mistake on this with a team in the Western Conference, which we'll get to thankfully much later than this, um, so I get more time to stew in it. But the the and we were, were concerned about the Pacers' defense because while Miles Turner is a capable defender, there weren't really that many others on the team. And the Pacers, as we're recording this, are twenty sixth in defense. But Hal Burton being able to help propel the offense yeah. that and I Carlisle, mean, I'm sure part of this was the feeling that Miles Turner like wouldn't be traded. Exactly. Maybe they could trade him for John Collins in the offseason. What do you think? I don't think the Pacers do that. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, John Collins has to stay a Hawk forever. That's just, that's, that's yeah, well, the only so way. So does Turner. Turner has to be a pace forever. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, this is, uh, Hal Burton reach, get, getting up to like a potential all NBA level is a massive development for this franchise moving forward. I would say it's been a positive year overall from Ben Matherin. There were times that it looked more positive than it does now, but overall positive. And Nemhard looks like he can be a contributor. So there are definitely some parts of this, the parts of this to be positive about. And they have the, 
the financial means to improve. So yeah, I mean, the, this this isn't, we both picked the over, but we could have been more effusive considering in the East, they outperformed their number by the most. Now I should caution, there were three teams that had over-unders, I'm sorry, excuse me, four, no, three teams that had over-unders 23 and a half or below, and Indiana and Utah way over, but San Antonio and Houston are probably going to go under. And I think we took, I took the over on all of those, and I think I'm only going to end up going two and two probably, unless San Antonio just like gets some more of these miracle wins down the end, but that's, so this idea of like, that's a really low under, over-under, and you should always go over on that like eh, it hasn't necessarily bore true throughout here but i will note uh, though that some of yeah. some of the other teams in the 20s not that low ended up have have dramatically exceeded their over-unders we'll get to some of them in a little bit right. um but that's different i mean it's fair to distinguish like those win totals in the 20s and i remember both with you and with arturo on real jam radio we talked about how 22 and a half is a lot of games to like winning 22 is that's a low bar but teams teams often fail to live up to that bar and next up is the miami heat miami last year they won they went 53 and 29 and they over under you know was thinking that there would be a regression they had had you know jimmy butler had the playoff run but they also did lose some talent in the offseason we i believe we knew at that point that victor oladipo was going to miss at least the start of the year and over under set at 48 and a half i believed in their defense i believed that their offense could put it together enough you were less optimistic about that and you were correct yeah, I was mostly just basing it on some of the uncertainty health-wise, and that's not necessarily been the reason that they've underperformed, at least among their top guys. Hero, Bam, and Jimmy are all going to play what passes for a full season, uh, over 60 games this year. Bam has played 67 games. Yeah, they, they should all hit 65, depending on where things yeah. go from here. Yeah, unless uh, one of them suffers an injury. It's just everyone else has really struggled, and the loss of P.J. Tucker I didn't think would be as much of a regular season thing. Cal has had another real struggle of a season at 36. Caleb Martin has given them anything that you could have asked for out of him, but he's a guy making 6.5 million bucks. Max Struess really disappointing in a, a bench role this year, not able to hit shots. Gabe Vincent is really disappointing. I mean, that's the biggest thing. Like they just haven't, they didn't hit threes the, the way they did a year ago. Duncan Robinson also, I think people kind of forget because he was out of the rotation by the playoffs, but he played a lot for them during the regular year last year and gave them stuff. So those three guys really are the, and maybe you can throw Lowry in there too of just and victor oladipo can't hit a three either like just any of their support players just can't make a shot and that's just put like i would say that hero's been about what i expected and bam and jimmy have been probably a little bit better than i would have hoped and yet so it's just been the failures of these role players that have them headed for way under here uh it's going to be they're projected to win 43 yeah it actually just they sealed the under yesterday so i i hadn't i hadn't put it in the sheet but they, it is it is official now. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so it, that's uh that that was a one that you and I disagreed on uh, that I got right. This next one, you're going to take it, though. Milwaukee was 52 and a half. And if they haven't sealed it already, they're very close. To- the Bucks have 50 wins right now, so they would have to go. They would have to go two and ten the rest of the way to fail to love to this. I I consider that reasonably unlikely. Um, the Bucks, though, to I guess your credit, despite the I mean they have had the absence for Chris Middleton and everything else, they have the differential of a fifty-two win team. Like this is they're they're outperforming their point differential by the most in the NBA as we record this podcast. Five point five wins 
And so that is significant. And their overall team health, I mean, so Middleton being out a lot of the year has definitely changed things. And then, yeah. and that was my biggest thing. I thought that uh, they just weren't going to have the depth without Middleton. And they've gotten like some guys to show up. But yeah, I mean, like Middle- Middleton, his season has kind of gone maybe even worse than I expected. And I was on the low end for him. So that's not where I went. So far, Giannis has played 55, Drew Holiday 58, Brooke Lopez, who's had a huge bounce back year, 68. That's probably the biggest positive in terms of both combination of injury and play for the Bucs. And their support players have generally stayed reasonably healthy and they got more Joe Ingles than I actually expected. You know, he came back, he's already played 36 games. He's probably going to get into the 40s by the time this regular season is through. So yeah, I think that the the idea for me was that they wouldn't take their foot too far off the accelerator because there were other teams pushing and that they were a good enough team to make it through this mark. Um, if Giannis had missed a larger period of time, it would have been a lot harder for them. And Brooke playing as well as he has really given them a stronger floor. And so they were able to defend in some of these games and and beat the bad teams, which has always been a, a hallmark of the Bucks. Yeah, Brooke Lopez playing basically every single one of their games, 31 minutes a game. I just didn't think he was going to be capable. He's also having his best point shooting season. So that's the and that's why I had him as one of my biggest surprise players. And we've kind of just gotten used to the fact that, yeah, he's a, this age 34 season. And yeah, he's, he's been unbelievable this year, right? I, I, no, like you shouldn't take that for, for granted. I didn't at the start of the year. And yeah, Ingles coming back, I think, is, has really helped them as well. Now, now, of course, they're on fire and playing really, really well. But that 9-0 and start, where they had a bunch of close wins like that basic that's really what sealed it the 9-0 start without Connaughton and without Middleton and now they've got Crowder too they've got some more depth on this team like I was very worried about some of their deeper bench pieces that they've been able to find enough guys to get by there Javon Carter another guy who's been a, a big help for them he's played 70 games 22 minutes a game and uh, also shooting 42 percent from downtown so he's been a massive help to them they're defense has been really good all year they got the number two defense which is kind of i wasn't necessarily expecting them to be quite that high and again in part because i didn't expect to get as much from lopez i didn't know how big of a role carter was going to have and how good he would be so i definitely was off here like i realized i can cry point differential a little bit on this one but they've been better than that for sure as i recall i thought that the knicks line was one of the most poorly set in the league and surprising for a big market team in more of a negative way the knicks went 37 and 20 and 45 last year and they added Jalen Brunson without losing too much that was dramatically significant. And then we weren't sure what Julius Randle we were going to see. The league's most improved player in 2020 slash 21 had a rough 21-22. But the over-under at 39 and a half basically said they're the same team again, rather than the team that they were the year previous when they went 40. They went 41-31. But remember, that was in a bridge season. So like they, they played at the differential of a 47-win team over a full year. I didn't pick it as one of my best bets but did feel good about their over and boy howdy they've they've already gone over it's they, they probably clear by about nine games depending on how the season finishes yeah i had them for 42 wins which uh, two and a half more than a team's over under is actually generally a bigger difference than i normally have i'm usually within about a win or two and so i wasn't like loving this it's happened in a different way than i expected I mean, number one and uh, now i will give the players on this team credit especially to do it under 
Tom Thibodeau, the likes of R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle. Like these guys can play a ton of minutes. Brunson, up until he had this foot bruise, can play a ton of minutes, and they don't skip back to backs, and that really helps to just have your full team together. And the only significant injuries they've had, I think Toppin missed like a month and a half, and Mitchell Robinson has had like a couple of absences. But of course, they had a very good backup at that position at Hartenstein, and then a third third string guy Sims has also been useful as he was last year. So that health is has been the number one thing but this is these are guys who do have a track record of being healthy and then randall coming back brunton has been at a higher level than i expected i thought they were going to just completely kill people with their bench and that actually wasn't amazing for them early on in the year but then once they made the change to sub out derrick rose fournier when quentin grimes came back going with those younger guys uh, has been really big i also thought if they were going to do it it would be more defense based and, and in fact really their offense has been shockingly good the Knicks are fifth in cleaning the glass offensive rating right now, which is really impressive. And they have the differential of a 48-win team, so they're basically performing even to it. So they've, they've been at they've been at a higher standard than Vegas expected. Yeah, and I'll give Tom Thibodeau credit as well. They've done a lot more running this year. They're taking more threes. So it's really been very successful. I can't quite take the victory lap on getting this right, other than just that I thought they had a lot of depth and could withstand injuries. But I I thought that they were going to be closer to 500 than this. Obviously, Randall returning to an all-star type of level and Brunson playing at an all-star level. Like Those have been the biggest things why they've been this good. The Orlando Magic, I think in many ways, the story of their over under like so it was 27 and a half and they went 22 and 60 last year it was the there were two parts one the magic leaning pretty heavily on young players because they were going to start palo bancaro they were you know franz Wagner is a second year player and then wendell carter when they're healthy and then the murkiness of their guard situation and generally there's this idea that there's there's a gravity to being a a low level team that you're that teams that win 20 teams that are play at the level of a 28 win team generally don't win 28 games they'll win fewer because they're competing in the lottery they'll make trades during the season to strengthen their draft position all those sorts of things and the way that the magic defied this and we both picked their under but they're going to go over is that they've just been better like they they weren't a 28 win team they have the differential of a 34 win team and even though the magic aren't sniffing the play-in in all likelihood they've been better and in what is such a positive development for their future the reason that they've been better than expected has not been because alec burks and Bojan bogdanovich are doing well it's that they're they're young guys their foundation they've been better with those guys on the floor yeah wendell carl Carter, you know, I would say Paolo has been a little above where I, I would have thought. He also hasn't been that efficient. Franz Wagner has been about where I thought he would be. Now, they're up to 17th defensively. That wasn't like about kind of where i had them actually unlike detroit they've actually come through on some of the defensive talent on their roster they've gotten more out of markel Fultz than i thought they would i mean they're still 26th on offense and i thought they would be worse than that i thought they would be like in the lowest possible tier on offense and instead that's been more detroit that's taken that spot uh so orlando's 26th on offense that's actually higher than i thought they was particularly when you consider some of the guard injuries that they had earlier early on and I was concerned about their backup big man situation Mo Wagner has come through to give them enough there yeah and they've gotten I didn't expect much Jonathan Isaac but they've gotten less than I expected disappointingly but I mean I thought that could be a boon to their defense like just having a player like that in their rotation at some point and that point has been not a whole heck of a lot 
Yeah, and I think also I wasn't a, a believer in their coaching necessarily, and I think that's been totally solid here. So they've been above expectations, not like crazily so. I think also they're kind of going to be helped by the fact that they're sort of in their own world. We'll see whether an Indiana or a Portland comes back to them, but they probably have enough clearance as far as getting that fifth seed in the lottery to still run through the tape. Well, and, and they and it, the, the clear argument in that is the trade deadline, like. They didn't treat the trade. They didn't handle the trade deadline like a tanking team because they didn't have to. Because well, there they wasn't, also didn't really have anyone they could have traded. Gary Harris, for a first round pick. Yeah, but yeah. I don't think they. Oh, oh like, you he's mean, under uh, contract for next year? Though, I, I was thinking players you could have traded to get worse. Like they could, they could have gotten worse if they wanted to, but they wouldn't have gotten much worse. And there wasn't a benefit because they were already at that point pretty clear of the worst teams in the league. The Hornets ended up going on a weird run, but they still were pretty clear of it. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets, and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Philly was my absolute best bet as an over. James Harden missed a month. Tyrese Maxey missed a month. But overall, they've been pretty healthy. And Joel, in particular, hasn't missed many games. He's got the MVP push. He's questionable for every game, but he plays. And 50 and a half, they're headed for 55. Wouldn't surprise me if they even do better than that. I just felt like this team was going to be a regular season juggernaut this year. I thought they could be better defensively. They had good depth. That depth has helped them when guys have been out. Thought Joel was going to be awesome. He has been i've actually probably gotten a little more out of james harden than i thought they would and yeah i think they're if anything uh, they're i mean even though they're headed for 55 like i it took them a little while i think to find their stride but they've quietly really been dominating the last couple of months seventh on defense is pretty striking and i'm still now that part of that is helped by the fact that harden and and maxi missed basically the same month at the same time 
Also, the Sixers, <laughs> the fifth luckiest team in terms of opponent three point percentage. So that is yeah, yeah. That that's a, a consideration as well to to kind of have in your back pocket. But yeah, they they're but, but they're I thought better. I actually thought there'd be a top ten defense, lower end of the top ten. But um. and third on offense is not a not a particularly a surprise. I mean, Harden and Maxi and Embiid it looked like they were going to be a monster in that respect. It was really for me the variable was is I, I had it as my third best bet as opposed to my number one. Um, was is Joel Embiid going to be like healthy enough? Because I thought if he played in 40 games, this would be a high bar for it. And he's, of course, missed time at other points. But I still, felt, you know, we both still felt good about it. And they would have to go two and ten to not get the over. So feel pretty good about it. Toronto. This one was interesting. I didn't feel strongly either way about their 47 and a half over under. They are on pace, however, to underperform that by six and a half. It's important to note that the Raptors are below their differential by the sixth largest margin in the league, negative 2.7. They have the differential of a 43 and a half win team. And that's still well below their over under, but they've already clinched the under. So like it makes it it makes a difference. But the Raptors, I mean, I was skeptical about their offense and they've actually been 12th, but they're they haven't been particularly close to an elite defense most of the year, even though they're forcing a ton of turnovers and they are having some bad opponent shooting luck, not the worst, but pretty bad. And their cohesiveness, their execution, and I would say to an extent, their health have all been worse than expected. Yeah, they're actually, despite being under 500, 12th on offense and 13th on defense. But again, let's note that that 12th on offense... They are 0.5 points ahead of 17th. So you definitely, when you're kind of in between the 10 to 20 range, usually you're pretty kind of bunched up there. And the well, defense, same thing. They're they're very close to some defenses that are well below them in terms of rank. And Nate, on the health front, I like to use 60 or 65 games as a rough proxy for a reasonably healthy season. Siakam's going to clear that. Van Vliet's going to clear that. Gary Trent's going to clear that. Scotty Barnes is going to clear that. OG Anunoby, like they've missed these guys, but not an unreasonable amount collectively so like i i I said that was one of the reasons they're going under it's a part of it but they have been reasonably healthy at bare minimum yeah i think some of the things that went wrong because i think i still had them for 47 wins so just under their over under barnes hasn't developed at all he's been about the same offensively as he was a year ago and they they give him a fair number of possessions and they're inefficient just the overall lack of spacing and ability to shoot like that is not a huge surprise van vliet first couple months of the season were pretty poor he's come on some lately and just the lack of rim protection i think is still something i never quite appreciated as much about him particularly with as much penetration as these guys allow and yeah i mean they've been way better on offense than i would have thought i had them in kind of the low 20s offensively and given that it was tough to see them getting over 47 and a half they have done pretty well offensively but then the defense getting to elite was the other way that you would have thought maybe they could have got the 47 and a half and i just when i went through all the teams i'm like yeah these guys got a lot of talent but they kind of weren't there last year i wasn't that impressed with them down the end of last year in the playoffs and so i'm like no i don't see these guys being elite defense i missed on a lot of these defenses to be sure but yeah i kind of thought toronto would be more right about where they were defensively let's move to the washington wizards they went 35 and 47 last year 
um, made a notable in-season trade last year with getting Porzingis, but we never got to see Porzingis and Beal play together due to injuries. And over-under set at 35 and a half, so basically the same level of team as they were last year. Though worth noting, I said the Wizards won 35. They had the differential of a 31.5 win team. We knew that a Ted Leonsis franchise would push through the tape. That is the way they do it. Uh, I worried that they were top-heavy. I didn't trust a lot of their functional depth. And in part because Christoph Porzingis has been both better and healthier, Beal's probably going to end up in the mid-50s in games. It's felt like he's been out a lot, but he's going to end up around there. The Wizards probably going to hit this over. I'm still holding out some hope. (laughs) (laughs) They're only slated to beat it. They're projected for 37 right now, but you'd think they'll be able to pick up enough when they'll probably get there. We can discuss it as if they're going to go over. And yeah, that's the biggest thing. Uh, Porzingis has already played 60 games and been. I think he's played at an All Star level. I I thought he was kind of criminally under discussed, frankly, in the All Star conversation. I don't know that I would have had him on the team, but like people weren't even mentioning. Thought was very odd. And, you know, other than Porzingis, it's hard to point to anyone who's really overperformed. I think DeLon Wright actually has had a very nice season for them. Uh, it's great to see him actually making a difference, and they missed him when he wasn't available. Daniel Gafford has come back to play pretty well for these guys. This Gafford-Porzingis starting in the front court. Gafford's rim protection numbers are, are nice this year. They got absolutely nothing out of Will Barton, who I thought might be able to help them. That hasn't been the case. And I think and, they've overall they've gotten, uh, I was going to say they've gotten less from Monte Morris, but he'll end up probably in the low 60s in games played. So that's should be fine yeah and uh johnny davis not playing at all has really helped them uh they did get so jordan goodwin was a nice success story for them during their point guard injury and, and he's able to help keep them afloat a little and bit. so is kispert we didn't talk about him as much in the uh in the two guard rankings but he's had a, he's had a nice year for them yeah playing 28 minutes a game doesn't really get up as many threes as you'd like but yeah he's been a, a competent player and Kyle kuzma i know you crapped all over him in our power forward rankings but he's been very healthy and has just given them competent play and like at least decent scoring without absolutely killing you from an efficiency standpoint yeah these guys i thought they would be really bad defensively and porzingis playing better and gafford playing better the the way that Wright is played i think beal is having a much better defensive season than he's had in some recent seasons so they haven't been you know a great defense or 22nd so i thought they would be a little bit worse than that and they've been a little bit better at 17th and i thought there'd be an offense like the way porzingis has been able to spread the floor for them has been huge to allow some of these less talented guys to still be relatively efficient so they're doing a little bit better but i think if kristaps porzingis misses 10 more games than he did we're probably still looking at this under. are you ready to move on to the no no i think so in the east i think i went like something really good like 11 and 4 or something let's see you might go 12 and 3 no i think you'll go 12 i think you'll go 11 and 4 yeah so i'm feeling pretty good about the east and then i mean obviously the west has been a complete shit show all year and a lot of people have struggled to prognosticate because the teams we thought were gonna be good outside of the denver nuggets just haven't been and that starts with the dallas mavericks oh boy yeah this was my number two best bet by the way the dallas over 48 last year dallas won 52 games and had the differential of a 50.5 win team. They did lose Jalen Brunson, but they were, you know, looking like they're going to get full season from Luka. They had enough depth around them. Luka has played. Oh, let's not forget they added Christian Wood. What an addition he was going to And JaVale McGee. I actually thought he would have helped them. That was uh, that was wrong. So Mavericks over under set at 48.5. They, as we record this, 
are 36 and 35, have the differential of a 43-win team. They Their under has already been clinched. And Dallas being 23rd in defense, I think, is an important part of this story. And yeah. I mean, that that was the biggest thing. I was like, well, uh, Jalen Br- losing Jalen Brunson isn't going to kill their defense. They were good defensively last year. Uh, but they also added Christian Wood and JaVale McGee. <laughs> that, that and like a, a couple of notes on their defense. So last year and remember it wasn't the full sample like dallas had this incredible stretch toward the second half of the year and everything else like that they went from 10th in opponent free throw attempt rate to 29th this year and that's that's a huge shift and their overall um opponent effective field goal percentage so last year they were eighth in opponent effective field goal percentage the most important of the four factors and this year they're 21st they it, some of it you can say is bad luck because they're they actually have the 11th best opponent location effective field goal percentage but they're not the, the reason they're underperforming that isn't being unlucky on threes it's that opponents are shooting top 10 on shots at the rim and top five on floaters and so generally teams can do more to control that and there have been some weird process things from the Mavericks and like I I do feel you know I I, I want I would like to claw back some of the praise that I gave Jason Kidd last year as their defense was looking so much better but also their defense like it I don't the defense last year was real in that sense like I don't think there was it was anything necessarily fluky they downgrade their personnel and they've been a little bit worse this year yeah and I think Luca has been worse defensively this year in part because he had this unbelievably high load and I don't think Finney Smith or or Balaka have been as good either. They were big parts. Now they did get Josh Green to play a larger role. He's been a pleasant surprise. Obviously, Kleba, I don't think he was as good before the injury, and then he missed a ton of time as well. And now one of the big things that I was concerned about was well, what happens when Luca misses games? That's been true. They've been awful up until they got Kyrie without Luca available. And I think they did not win a game, I want to say, without Luca available until they got Kyrie. And that was like eight or nine games. They still got way more out of spencer dinwiddie in terms of health than you would have hoped uh, and that was still the case anyway we also wondered well what if games where luca is available but dinwiddie can't play and that there really weren't any of those games so it really has been more uh, about the defense than the offense so the offense has had some failures as well they're up to six now i think but we'll see what happens with them once they get luca and Kyrie back that's supposed to happen finally this week but i, I thought these guys were going to be really good and that just been a massively disappointing season last year denver went 48 48- and 34 battling some serious injury issues michael porter jr didn't play much wasn't himself jamal murray of course was dealing with the torn acl and they were still 48 and 34 though they outperformed the differential a little bit last year i picked their over picked it as my fourth best bet on the board you picked their under but it looks like the denver nuggets are going to go over they at the moment have 47 wins but they are about to win their 48th as we record this podcast oh <laughs> i was really counting on brooklyn maybe winning that one they, they've been in free fall lately looked like they were headed for high 50 for most of the year and had surprising losing streak lately or not streak because i think they won one game and the offense has been unbelievable that i fully anticipated number two offense in the nba with you Jokic on the floor it's been ridiculous my biggest reason for concern with them was I thought reintegrating Porter Jr. and Murray was going to be difficult for them that those guys would be kind of in and out of the lineup and that's been the case and and both those guys have been inconsistent Porter Jr. I think is more consistent than Murray has had a stretch when they're going crazy in January also with it 
easier schedule but was looking like himself and then he missed some time before the all-star break and he's been in and out but yeah they're gonna go fairly over here Jokic again has been largely healthy missed a few more games than he normally does but he's the best I think regular season offensive player in basketball and they defend okay when he's on the floor I was worried about their bench and some of the guys that would have to play large roles that's been entirely correct uh they also are have already won 3.1 more games than expected and actually their expected wins would have hit the under uh, at 50.7 now Jokic obviously is a good clutch player but I again we caution believing in that so I think a lot of the theories I had were pretty good I think Jokic has gone to even another level than before Aaron Gordon has been better than I thought he would and that's and KCP is another one who has him shooting 40s from three has been unexpected so those three guys I think have carried them a little bit more but this one was I was right on the borderline with this one so I, I don't think I was crazy to have this one and their point differential is going to be basically right out so yeah I think that's a reasonable descriptor there um we'll see how their point differential changes after this Nets game they're up by 20 um let's move on to the Golden State Warriors the reigning champions over under set at 52 and a half in the 21-22 season the Warriors went 53 and 29 so this was set basically at the exact line that they had the year before when they were 17th on offense and second on defense and inevitably you can point to some extended absences for important players as a part of this story but i think the bigger part of this is the warriors at full strength or close to it have been meaningfully worse than i anticipated yeah and it's just been a such a weird year for them starting off with a three and seven start and they've basically just been behind the eight ball after that their initial theory we thought these guys were going to have a lot of depth and other than jonathan Kamingo is maybe been about what you would have hoped Wiseman playing at all like that completely torpedoed them they've got nothing out of Moody there's this thought that this Jordan Poole second unit could actually be a strength uh no actually they had to completely change up the rotation there Andrew Wiggins missing a ton of time has been a major problem like it's just so funny because a lot of individual players have had stretches where they've been about what you would have hoped like Steph Curry has played way better than you would have thought Draymond Green has been right what you would have hoped maybe even better at his age and Dante DiVincenzo has had a bounce back year he's been really good although I don't think he's been the same player defensively that he was uh, in Milwaukee before the injury or maybe he just hasn't been able to play the same way because he doesn't have that Bucks room protection behind him the biggest issue for them though and then I think Jordan Poole's been worse than uh, we would have thought Kevon Looney starting to wear down Wiggins missing down the biggest thing though is they just can't guard anyone like that's been the biggest disappointment they cannot stay in front of people. and this is a, a group that was fantastic defensively for most of the of last year certainly in the playoffs they were really good but they weren't that good the second half of last season to that number two was based on and a ridiculous first half of the year and then they were kind of average yeah when when second. draymond was out worth noting yeah when That's- draymond was out but it's like oh draymond will be back but they also not having Otto porter not having gary payton the second andre guadal actually was a big part of their rotation the first half of last year like those and then wiggins has missed half the year too so really they're only good defensive player and, I, and like i said i think looney has slipped a little bit he hasn't been as good moving his feet he's kind of worn down so really their only guy that you can count on throughout the whole year defensively has been Draymond and when he's been on the floor they actually have still defended reasonably well they have this crazy home road thing but 
I am largely choosing to ignore that. Uh, and then, you know, Steph has missed some time, but that hasn't been what's killed them. They've actually been 500 without Steph. Like, that's better than you would have thought. And, but Clay was terrible for two months. Like, he was killing them for two months. And now he's kept them afloat when Steph has been out during this whole period, but that he isn't helping to solve their inability to guard at this point. So, yeah, it's, it's just everything has really gone wrong in weird ways, but like, there's been enough flashes of things going right that it's almost. I, I don't know where like the prediction aspect of this can be said to have been flawed, I guess, because uh, other than maybe Poole. I, also, this is this prediction was made before uh, Draymond Green punching Jordan Poole in practice. That that probably didn't help things. It probably didn't. But especially when Wiggins being out was a portion of this and like the team's inconsistency, even when they've been healthy, is it was kind of hard to anticipate. Last year, I thought the team relative to who was on the floor and kind of the overall progression, I thought that it made sense. And for that to go so off the rails so dramatically was was notable and so neither of us picked it as a best bet 52 and a half is a lot of games for anyone to win but they they're well below this they that they're underperforming it by a projected 10 and a half games that is one of the larger disparities on the negative end the only team that underperformed it by more is the pistons they're tied with the hornets for second in that respect we could go to the houston rockets rockets last year 20 and 62 had the differential of a 20 win team we knew they were going to be leaning on young players and um over under set at 22 and a half and through a shocking late push they may actually get somewhat close to this but they should in a in it like in a like reasonable world they'll go under and we will both lose turns out that not having a single player maybe in the top 30 at, at their position doesn't lead to having a very good team or being 29th on offense and 29th on defense <laughs> yeah. pick pick your adventure <laughs> Like the Rockets are performing to their point differential right now. Like this is not an uh, an extremely unlucky team. And when you look at opponent shooting, they've been unlucky in that respect. They're you know they're about a one point two percentage points below the median in the league right now. So like opponents are shooting better than you'd anticipate. But their defense is also just bad. Like they, they have limited defenders. They they haven't played particularly well. And they've been as we've mentioned at various points in the year, they've been really bad when. Before this recent stretch when Eric Gordon was unavailable and then, of course, they traded him at the deadline to the Clippers. And I I think that the the bigger part of it is not the like the Rockets going under. Should that be what what happens? And I expect it to be. It's more that we haven't seen the progression from guys like Jalen Green. I'd say Jabari Smith has been better recently, but has still had a worse year than I anticipated. And there have been lesser players to their future relative terms. I, I like Tari Eason a lot. Like Tari Eason, I think, is, has done better than I anticipated, but they're just worse. Yeah, I, I predict them for 24 wins, so I wasn't exactly drinking the Kool-Aid on these guys. But yeah, the over-under was still 22 and a half, so I wasn't like right on the borderline. I just thought they would get more out of Jalen Green than they have. He has had a disappointing year. I thought Jabari Smith would shoot it better. Like I thought he, despite being a young guy, would at least shoot it well enough to help their offense compared to what they had previously. And now he's shooting just above 30% from downtown. And just their overall total lack of shooting. Like I thought their offense could be like slightly more respectable than it's been. But I I, I didn't miss by too much on these guys. Like they're, I had them as the 26th best offense and the 30th defense. So it's like... Yeah. And <laughs> and last year, um, the Rockets had 20 wins, the Magic at 22. 
22, the Pistons had 23. So only two teams in the NBA finished below this mark. And I thought the Spurs were going to be worse than the Rockets. Overall, I think that has been the case. The Spurs do have the worst point differential in the league. The Rockets are actually a point per 100 better than they are. But then the Magic being a little bit better, the Thunder being a lot better. We'll get to that soon enough. And and some of these other teams like that's taken theoretically some of the wins off the board. But for me, it's mostly just that the Rockets haven't been as good as I anticipated. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Anything else you want to go to on them? Let's go with the Clippers here. 51 and a half. I felt pretty good about their over. It's not going to happen. They're slated to win 8.5 games. Fewer than that, they right around 43. And I think the biggest thing that we missed here, like they've gotten about as much out of Kawhi as you could have hoped for at this point, but they've just been atrocious whenever he hasn't been available. The Clippers are actually outperforming their point differential by the second highest degree in the NBA so far this year. They have the differential of a 38-win team over a full season, and they're projected to win 43. Um, So that's a pretty huge difference there. Defense has been around league average, but you, there were reasons to think that it could theoretically be well, a little well, better. Well, they've had a weird dichotomy where their offense was terrible, and but they were playing Zubats a lot. They were top five in defense for the first couple months, and then right around the time Kawhi came back, not that it's his fault, they really started slanting more offense. Zubats got worn down, wasn't playing as much, and now they've flipped into being an offensive team. And but So the, kind of their season-long numbers are a little closer to average on both ends, but it's they've had some ebbs and flows there. Another factor for me with it, which I don't really know how to how to assess moving forward, is that this is an older team and some of those players just performed below the standard that they had been at before. You know, like I would say this has been maybe a all of them, honestly. Pretty much. I mean like who is which of their support players has had a good year relative to what we thought? I don't think any of them really have. That's that's a good way of thinking. I think Zubats has been fine if we're counting him as a support player, but he might be ahead of some of those guys in the pecking order. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I think Zubats is maybe the one you could point to, but he, he always had. A, and Terrence Mann has had some moments. I, I would say that Mann overall has been better than I anticipated. Yeah, I guess maybe the older support. Yes. Players. Yeah. So like Morris and Robert Covington and Reggie Jackson and John Wall. John Wall had a rough tenure with the Clippers, which is of course yeah, now over. John Wall was playing twenty minutes a game for these guys, and he's now out of the league. And Reggie Jackson was playing. 26 minutes a game for these guys and played 52 games before the deadline and you know now he's a middling backup in denver at best so that so those guys those are two veterans they had we aren't even on the team anymore and then marcus morris norm powell batum hasn't been the same uh luke Kennard missed a bunch of games for these guys covington has barely played so I, like, I thought all these guys, I thought these guys were going to be the deepest team in the league, and it just hasn't been the case. It has not, and so they are. Their under is already clinched. 
their fellow for the now crypto.com compatriot is the Los Angeles Lakers. LeBron teams historically have underperformed their um their over-under, in part probably because of the optimism with LeBron teams and in part just because it hasn't emphasized it. I don't think that's the reason here. I don't particularly being less healthy, um, the at times the offense has sputtered more than anticipated. But it, the Lakers, they could cut they could clear this. I could see them closing strong. They're currently 34 and 37, but 44 and a half, it would have to be a hot finish for them to get there well you said they've already lost 37 yes oh so they would have to go undefeated okay we can mark this we can mark this as a no if a team has to go undefeated with more than 10 games left oh no sorry a win sorry because we both picked their under yes we did and the health of lebron and ad was probably the biggest reason i went this direction i think there's a feeling that there would be a trade and in fact they got very very close on the turner heel deal in the offseason that would have obviously changed things i ended up predicting these guys to actually win 43 so i wasn't that down on on them relative to the 44 and a half over under and lebron and ad although they're always risk to miss time at this point they probably missed a little bit more than i would have thought they've also been totally respectable since they had that two and eight start and so they've kind of played right around this level and of course the deal that they made it's they wouldn't have probably gotten a 45 wins anyway but i think they're playing at the level of you know a six seed five seed if lebron is healthy after making this move but they just uh, of course haven't had him so i think this was it was a good under the biggest reason i went this way was because of the health i thought that russell westbrook was going to be minimized enough that he wouldn't kill them that ended up being true and that they would have a little bit better support guys this year because they couldn't have had worse than they did last year and darvin ham i thought has done a pretty good job like the vibes out of there were good in the beginning of the season so like i don't think it's been since the beginning a disastrous season for the lakers it's kind of about what i was expecting and just lebron and ad have been injured a little bit more than they have been like i thought with lebron and ad playing these guys could be kind of a mid-40s team and but throwing the injury risk and that's why i went for the under did did you have any other reason you went for the under i was concerned about their supporting cast it was simultaneously worse than last year but still pretty bad and patrick Beverly. you mean better than last year but still pretty bad yeah and that i think is largely what ended up happening they've looked as they've looked more like a cohesive roster during the stretch even without lebron for almost all of it they've they've been significantly more competent i talked about in the eastern conference section that the the knicks line was one of the i thought the worst set lines to me the one that was even more extreme than that was the memphis grizzlies where memphis last year went 56 and 26 they had the differential of a 56 win team and john Morant missed a significant portion of the 21 22 campaign and over under set at 49 and a half i picked it as my second strongest over and even though the grizzlies are underperforming their differential by the sixth most most in the league as we record this it's looking like they're still going to go over it's not it's not for sure yet that they'll go over 49 and a half they have to do finish reasonably well but they can yeah and they've probably had more injury issues than you would have thought that they would we knew that jaron jackson jr wasn't going to play for the first month or so of the season but he, he's come back and has been totally healthy since then and he's played at a, a defensive player of the year type of level when he's been on the floor and jaw is actually having a little bit worse of a season than i would have thought bane 
Kane has been great, but he missed a month. So I think they've been probably a little bit less lucky with injuries. Steven Adams, a huge part of what they're doing. He's going to miss the last two months of the year. So I think they've, especially for a young team, Zaire Williams also had a lot of injury issues and basically hasn't figured at all. Brandon Clark has the torn Achilles, so he's out for the year. So they've been hurt more by injuries. I think the fact that they're, and of course this jaw issue where he, with the gun, and that's probably end up costing him about 10 games or so. But the fact that they're probably still going to go over, even with all of those issues, shows that it was a pretty damn good call to take the over here. My optimism went awry again with the Minnesota Timberwolves. And last year, they went 46 and 36 and actually underperformed their differential. They were, they 49 wins uh, was their expected total last year. They added Rudy Gobert, though that came at the cost of some significant depth, including Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, much less the first-round pick that ended up becoming Walker Kessler. And yes, Carl Anthony Towns has missed a bunch of time, and that way more than we would have anticipated with this calf strain. And but the the for me, like I was I was fully ready to take the loss on this, even with some some really nice stretches from Anthony Edwards. And Jaden McDaniels, I would say, has been above my expectations, too, because the theory of the team just wasn't a 50-win team. No, it wouldn't seem so. And going 10 and 11 when Towns and Gobert were available, an indication of that. And Gobert just hasn't been as good this year. He's still doing the Rudy Gobert things. But like if you look at Cessarim protection stats where he always has been at the top, he's like, you know, 15th or something this year, which is not the guy that they traded for. Walker Kessler, third in those stats, by the way. And I thought this was a well set line my concerns about the trade were more based on how much they gave up how good it would be in the playoffs it was more really that i just didn't want to pick them to win 50 games in this era when everyone seems to kind of get sucked towards the middle generally and for a team that i hadn't seen together before particularly when it's not like you're adding super easy fit kd type of player like rudy gobert is not the easiest guy to fit around as a non-shooting center you're gonna play two bigs together they haven't played that way before i was concerned overall about their spacing i thought they were gonna miss malik beasley that was the other thing i thought their bench was going to be a problem and as it's turned out they've gotten more out of some of those guys than you would have thought I thought they might miss Vanderbilt as well Kyle Anderson has filled in really well there McDaniels has taken another step forward this year D'Angelo Russell before he was traded actually had a much better season than I was anticipating it's true so I think without Towns they've exceeded my expectations a little bit at this point but yeah as you noted the theory just was not there but this was again I thought these guys would be a, a much better team when Gobert Baron Towns were healthy and I just was like all right I don't believe in it enough to go 50 wins we haven't seen it yet that was it was more sort of an inherent conservatism about the whole thing than like me thinking oh this isn't gonna work yeah yeah see I thought I thought it was on the idea that the Wolves were playing a limited offensive player next to Towns before and they added a superior defender I underappreciated what Vanderbilt brought and they had been good on offense with other players before and that Gobert has been a defense in and of himself in recent years because yeah, they won 46 last year, and I think they underperformed their point differential, too. Right? They did. It was 49. They had the differential of 49 win team last year. Yeah. But they also, I think they were pretty healthy last year, too. That, that, sure. So that was, and that and taking away the bench, that's why I was like, okay, I'm not willing to just say, hey, 46 win team plus add one of the best defensive players in basketball equals 55 win team. Like, I, I just wasn't quite willing to go to, like, that type of a level. But, all right, finally, at least I got three in a row here, hopefully. I, <laughs> I missed on the first five teams in the West. After my 11 and 4 start in the East. And then we come up to the New Orleans Pelicans. 
one of the harder teams to figure because they were a lot better than their 36 and 46 record last year. Once they got healthy, they had that. Wait, uh, was wait, wait. It, were they? Well, they had the 0 and 11 start. And once okay. they. Oh, yeah, I, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Once they, they cleared started, that, they, they got 0 and 11 last year. Something like I that. I remember it was three. I had three and 16 is the one that. Yeah. I maybe that head, you but, remember but, these things better than I do. I mean, maybe maybe it was. Old, but yeah, it was it definitely was three and 16. I know that for sure. But that was like without any. it was one in 12. Okay. So they they were they were 11 games below 500. It's just that they had won one. They beat Minnesota of all teams during that stretch. Um, and for a lot of this year, it looked like New Orleans was going to blow through their 44 and a half win over, even though they weren't particularly healthy. And then Zion, you know, had this issue, had this hamstring issue and had a setback and they have fallen completely off of the cliff. And now it is extremely unlikely that they will hit that over. They would have to they'd have to go. I think it's something like eight and four, something like that, the rest of the way to get it. So it's it's very unlikely that they will. So in some ways, this is partially a backdoor kind kind of like backdoor win, but in other ways it isn't because uncertainty about their fit and uncertainty about their availability to stay healthy were concerns for us in the first place. Yeah, this is one of those ones where I think I'll just always take the Pels under until they they beat it. And actually, wasn't it... I think they were a bad beat last year, right? To go over, I can't. It was very close. I think they beat it by like one. That, no, we that. we both. That was I think two years ago. We picked that. We both picked their under last year, and they and they ended up hitting their under. I think it was two years ago. Like I picked their over, and then they and they just missed it, and I was mad. So yeah, this is a team like the Nets, where I was just like, something always seems to go wrong. Zion Williamson, his health, and I think a lot of people might have said, well, yeah, even if Zion misses time, like, hey, look how good they were when they had. And I just wasn't a believer in what they did last year. I thought there's so many things that happened for them to be superficially overrated. Well, this supposed oh they sure gave the Suns a a run for their money in the first round. Yeah, Devin Booker missed games like half a game two, games three, four, and five, and it came back and wasn't fully healthy in game six, and they still won in six. <laughs> like it wasn't like this was you know the full Suns team that won 64 games. And so for, for me, yeah, like, and I obviously mean, the COVID, the Paul George COVID thing as well. And sure. the play in and But I mean, Zion Williamson played at a high level when he was actually available. And we could see some of the theory. Also, the best Williamson has played defense in his NBA career. But him missing time isn't a huge surprise. And the team and the other thing that we were concerned by was New Orleans and Fred Vinson has overall done a nice job, uh, done a very good job with kind of making guys more confident shooters, making them better was will players like Herb Jones and Jose Alvarado, who who did better than we anticipated from three and them doing that was so important for this team actually being viable offensively. Would that continue? And Alvarado's done well. I mean, he's he's taking more per game and shooting a respectable percentage. But overall, that's led to some problems, most notably in that game we did for the strategy stream. And New Orleans being 20th in offense this year, which is identical to last year, despite getting, even if it was less than they wanted, more Zion Williamson. Like, that has to be disappointing. Yeah, I think even when Zion was healthy, they were benefiting from a lot of opponent shooting luck. They, they, just, they still are, by the way. They have the opponent. Yeah. are shooting the worst percentage from three in the entire league 
And so I think they just had a lot of guys that are just a little bit overrated and or injury risk, right? Like Valanchunas, I thought is really overrated. I hated his fit next to Zion. CJ, a, a guy who's been around for a long time, like great citizen, player association president, but getting to the age where small guards can start to decline. And he has not had a good year. Brandon Ingram, I think still a good player. Yeah, I like it more than you do, but I thought he maybe was getting a little overrated based on a, a hot series against the Suns, even though I think that was... A, a very good series for him and then he's an injury risk zion the injury risk uh, as well larry nance was the way their team is set up is an incredibly important player for them and when he's been unavailable it's been a big problem their starting lineup without zion i mean even with zion but then without him when they don't have his ability to just bash through four guys at the rim has really struggled due to lack of shooting and lack of fit so uh i mean they're given the fact that zion has missed as much time as he has only played 29 games probably maybe he'll be back at the very end they're slated for 39 that'll be miss it by five and a half so i think if he had if zion plays well and nate one quick one quick note probably close to this the pelicans have the differential of a 42 win team they've been underperformed by a lot so like this is this could have been closer than it has been yeah so this is more just based on again we haven't seen these guys together there are some factors that might lead to them being a little overrated and i'm just gonna take the conservative approach rather thinking this is another one of those ones where i'm like all right how are they gonna especially with the health questions where is the potential to just like blow through this on the top end i didn't really see it we saw them play very well but it was still it was more the health issues that made me think like that they're just not going to be able to like keep this whole group together so nate the indiana pacers outperformed their point differential preliminarily or i'm uh, sorry outperformed their over under by the most in the eastern conference 13.5 games over their 22.5 win expectancy as we're recording this there are three teams in the western conference that are outperforming their their over under by more than that and the first of those three is the oklahoma city thunder the thunder last year won 24 games had the differential of a 20 win team though there were reasons that they pushed the brakes on that they drafted Chad holmgren who has of course not played this year and you know yeah they're we, we knew that he wasn't going to play yes we knew and you know they're 34 and 36 have the differential of a 43 win team projected to win 39 games this year by 538 which has been skeptical on their talent level the whole year shane gilgis alexander reaching a brand new level of awesomeness is a huge part of this story and so encouraging for their future and another and that's the most important thing of course but the other one that i want to emphasize is this is another year and a significant year where the thunder have outperformed their talent level defensively and have done so in a way that is more sustainable this is not opponent shooting luck this is the team executing better being better defensively the biggest reason i went for the under was shall we say the organizational priorities now they would probably argue back that jay gilgis alexander got shut down the last two years because of legitimate injuries but they went really hard in tank particularly at the end of last year and then of course the game in 21 the the clippers that classic game the, the daniel Latoru game and so i think had they been at a different point they might have gone in that direction again but i mean so many things i was wrong about here starting with i saw shagos alexander's like a fringe third team all nba guy he's probably gonna make my second 
second team, I would guess, and quite honestly, be in contention for first team. Uh, Josh Giddy has been a lot better this year, and Jalen Williams, the guard, or I guess small forward, has given them way more to, even though I liked him as a prospect, I didn't think he would be at this level you know, really in contention for rookie of the year. Probably either going to be second or third in, in my rookie of the year ballot. They've even gotten something out of Jalen Williams, the big, who I thought would be terrible. And so I think the two things that I missed on, other than just Shea's brilliance, I mean, there's more than two things. Well, your guy, Isaiah Joe, that's another one that we just didn't see coming at all. Because I thought these guys were going to have no shooting. That really hasn't been the case. No shooting. And I mean, they were leaning on Pokashevsky and Mike Muscala as they're as you know playing significant center minutes and they still you know the thunder is still being there but yeah getting shooting from isaiah joe getting shooting from lindy waters when he's been in the rotation the center spot like that's really opened things up for them and it's yeah, yeah i mean just playing with the stretch five all the time has been and that those guys have actually made shots too has been mm-hmm. huge and have to get guarded so yeah it's been and it's been a massive and like i think there's some spiritual similarities to what i said about the the magic where it's like teams in a certain range often go in a specific direction but being better than that can push you and i mean shay and the defense being there like if, if the if they had been playing at a 30 win level or a 28 win level they they might have gone down to this but they've been way way better than that yeah the biggest thing too and this is this is the team that i'm most annoyed that i got wrong because i've been a big mark dagnall believer and i think also some of the teams that i got wrong on last year i just missed that they were going to tank down the end and i just didn't give that enough credence and so that again just for that to be the only reason i went with the under it just was that wasn't a good enough reason i should have believed more in dagnall i should have believed more in the way they've defended as well i think they're they're 11th on defense right now which is just insane given who their big men are here and the, that they play josh giddy a lot too it's that's really really impressive and mark dagnall both the way they play fight five out and all the screens with guard like isaiah joe i think as i saw this the other day has the highest points per possession of a, i think Locke tweeted this out the highest points per possession of any role man after the all-star break wow guard <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible insane and so uh, yeah so really everything mark dagnall has done has been incredibly impressive and great to see this team playing as well as it has and this is the one that i'll probably kick myself on the most because i there are a lot of individual things here that i did like and i was just like ah you know their defense and like who are their bigs and that they're probably just going to try to tank again and uh, no like that obviously not the way i should Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. 
the Phoenix Suns last year once went 64 and 18, but of course the vibes were distinctly not immaculate after their game seven thrashing at the hands of the Dallas Mavericks. They did end up retaining DeAndre Ayton and in part due to absences, in part due to them playing over their heads in general for that I mean, they were they were the best regular season team in the league last year, but they also just were ridiculous. You know, they they were a 61 win team. Their over under was set at 53 and a half. I just thought this team was too talented, even with all of the issues that they had. You picked their under. I picked their over. You were right. I was wrong. Well, I was actually going to go with the over. And then with Jay Crowder news, I lowered my prediction down to 53. So I I got a little bit lucky there. They would have been right on the the borderline if Devin Booker had just been able to play more than the 1,481 minutes that he has so far. And I mean, they're 119.5 offensive rating when he's on the floor and 108.6 when he's off the floor. And certainly Chris Paul has been worse than would have been expected. He also has missed a bunch of time with this uh, nebulous heel issue. And then to not have Jay Crowder, like that's been rough. Now Josh Okoge has helped a, a little bit. Cam well, and, and Cam Johnson yeah. missed so much this season too, compounding the yeah. problem. Right. I mean, I mean if, if they hadn't just had that, and I think they actually deserve credit for staying afloat towards the end of that period as well as they did. But they had a period where like Paul and Booker were basically, and Johnson were all out. And yeah, part of why they were so good last year is they're healthy. Although they weren't, like Booker and Paul did have some stretches that they missed last year. They still got to the 6th four. Uh, and even DeAndre Ayton has quietly missed more time than would have been expected. And now, of course, KD has only played 98 minutes for them as well. They traded a, a lot of their good players for him. So they're going to finish nine and a half to maybe like seven and a half worse than this 53 and a half this is almost all health related though that they've been this low I, I think that they were on I mean especially even when they were healthy at the start of the year like they what did they start like 19 and 6 or something and then the injury set in last year's Portland Trailblazers were a funhouse mirror we we didn't know what in the world to do with that they they simultaneously were 27 and 55 and outperformed their point differential by the most in the league because they were so bad most of the year Damian Lillard was of course out and yeah maybe the greatest tank job in NBA history they had like a negative 20 net rating off the all-star pretty last it was it was remarkable and oh so in many ways the over-under was probably more tethered to two years prior when they were 42 and 30 but had and that remember a shortened season had the differential of a 46 win team but the over-under set at 39 and a half even though they added Jeremy Grant and you and I were both skeptical. I didn't believe in their defense, and we didn't know exactly what we were going to be getting from Damian Lillard. Second part of that, I mean, Lillard, when he's been available, has been great. He has been to the standard that he was previously, but both because they were reliant on Yusuf Nurkic, who was a flawed and at times unavailable player, and just the overall talent level on this team. They have, you know, as we're recording this, the Blazers, 27th on defense, 8th on offense, and that 8th on offense is actually materially worse than they were in the best Lillard years, too. And the Simons-only minutes have been worse than expected. So we both picked their over, and it looks like they're going under. I got a little trivia for you here, Danny. Can you name the Portland Trailblaze the best on-court net rating having played more than 200 minutes this season? Oh, God. Is it Nasir Little? Nasir Little has a negative 6.4. Okay, so it's not it. I know it's not Dame. Um, It's not Dame, uh, although he has the best net rating of anyone remaining on the team. Oh, Josh Hart? Give you one more guess. Hmm. I'm trying to think about who. So it's somebody who they let go. Is is it Gary Payton II? That is correct. Oh, my goodness. Gary Payton II, 4.6 net rating in 255 minutes. And yeah, 
but fascinating. Now that was it wasn't necessarily helping their defense that much. They had a 121 on defense and a 125 on offense uh, when he played. So uh, you know, and I guess he played some of that with Dame. But that's it's just kind of interesting just to to think. And I, we we didn't know at the time of this that Gary Payton the second was going to have this lost year that he's going to have. Ever. I think he. I don't even know if his surgery. Maybe it was announced by the time we do this. But we still thought he would be back. You know, like four to six weeks by Christmas at least. And and also Josh Hart. I think it's now has become clear was really helping them maybe more than we thought because we were focused on his lack of shooting and yeah that wasn't great but also he was clearly better defensively than the other guys they had available there you know, he was second 3.3 net rating uh and so now they're they, at one point they were a plus five with dame on the floor now they're down to 2.2 so they've really been free falling since the break if they hadn't traded Hart and if peyton had been healthier you know i think this team could have been right around this 39 and a half uh but for them to have gotten this season from damian lillard and still be probably going to have him shutting things down i mean what a disaster people sometimes don't like the phrase that i use that it's it's easier to go under than to go over but i think like it's more like there are more ways to go under than to go over but i think the blazers are a great example of that because they're like players can and the clippers in some ways are too their players can underperform relative to expectations, but the added qualifier that can be useful there is unless the team has the upside to be significantly better than that. So like for the Blazers, I saw a pathway for them to win in the 40s, but I didn't see a pathway for them to win like high 40s. I didn't think they had that kind of team in them with this kind of personnel, with how shallow they were or everything else. And so generally in those circumstances, I like to shade towards the under because, you know, guys can underperform. You can have bad, bad health and all those type of things. So, you know, yeah. I'll, well, you also like to shade towards the under because you're such a pessimist. Take such right. glee in, in failure. You, you, you say this like I didn't pick the Minnesota over at 49.5. Um, well, well, let, let's, let's get to our next team and then you, you could, you can try to burnish your optimistic credentials. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I do enjoy that you talked about how you picked the Brooklyn Nets and the New Orleans Pelicans unders because things never really work out for them. And yet confidently, or at least somewhat, co- yeah, you did. You picked as one of your best bets. Pick the Sacramento over another team for whom things very rarely go right, but they most certainly did this year. The Kings going from the 25th ranked offense in the league to, oh, I don't know, number one in the league and jumping from a negative six differential to a plus 2.7. That is the differential of a 47 win team. And in case you were wondering, yes, 47 wins is significantly more than the 32.5 they were projected for that I went under on and was completely wrong. Generally, the way I do this is I just go through and predict each how many games I think each team is going to win. And then if I am way over or way under what the line is, uh, I'll usually go for it unless it's a team that I think of as being extremely volatile. This is all about this line being insane low, 32 and a half. I think it was more that people, the way the odds makers got to this, well, number one, the Kings don't have a very good brand, justifiably so. But number two was to just count through the West and be like, okay, well, these guys are 13th and so they can't ha- win them. And I try not to do it that way. And that's why I went with the over. I, I had them for 35 wins. I'm not just like so, so into it. I, I did so into the Kings this year, but I did think that their offense would be average. And I actually had them in a, in my group from 9 to 19. So I, I saw a way this group could get into being a top 10 on offense. Now getting to be number one, uh, no, maybe less so like De'Aaron Fox 
again, his he should be in the most improved conversation this year, I would say, because he has been so much better. And that's really been the underrated thing about why the Halliburton Sabonis trade has quote unquote worked. And again, you know, we'll let's we'll wait until the final returns are in seven years from now when Tyrese Halliburton is his team control with the Kings would have ended. Uh because we got a long way to go in that trade. And even now it's the way Halliburton's trade has played, you can't necessarily conclude that it's worked for Sacramento in any event. Also, one quick note, a trade can be a win-win, and I think that may end up being where this turns out, in part because, as you're reading, in in part because of the growth of De'Aaron Fox. And I mean, De'Aaron Fox, he had been hovering in the 55, 56% true shooting over the last few years. And in, and in, even with some really positive things, you know, there were some of those years where he was keying the Kings fast break and doing really well. And then this year, 60%, a, a, a clean career high, mostly in, and you could credit Sabonis for a part of this, for being better from two. Like this is one of the better De'Aaron Fox three point shooting seasons. It could be that, but career 52% two point finisher, 58 percent this year which is fantastic especially yeah. for a well, guard the, mid, the mid-range has gotten uh, that's become right it used to be you were fine with him taking those and this year now uh, that's really kind of improved overnight to where he's uh, you know in the high 40s now uh, on those twos away from the rim also shooting 57 percent from floater range and 80 percent around the rim and i think the other thing because i'm still not gonna like take act like i saw this coming from the kings is just how additive the shooting that they added has been keegan murray has been a 40 percent three-point shooter obviously kevin herter has been one of the best shooters in the league monk actually hasn't shot as well from three as maybe some think he has but also still a threat he's a bomber out there needs to be guarded and so just when is the last time that the kings had good shooting up and down the roster barnes is still a, a good threat as well, well it- and so just Keeping the paint open like this, running everything through Sabonis, who's been unbelievable as a passer. I I think there will be three examples of it. The Kings, the Thunder, and the Hawks as the example of the constituent shooting, like four or five guys, or even ideally all five, making such a huge difference for your the overall quality of your offense. Like I will I will try to be better about that in future years. The league landscape can change. Obviously, those sorts of things can shift, but that has been a game breaker for the Kings. They have a lot of guys who not only take a lot of threes, but who make them. And that means they have to be guarded. I mean, it's been a really nice year for Trey Lyles. Like Lyles has done well too, as coming off the bench, they have gotten way less from Rashawn Holmes than I anticipated, but that hasn't really killed them. Like they've, they've, yeah, they've cobbled it together with Lyles and Metu in that second unit. Yeah. And I, I would say this has also been a disappointing year for Davion Mitchell. That hasn't really mattered either. They've been able to kind of cobble that together too. So like an it, off year. Yes. And off year for off night. And so, yeah, the Kings, they have currently outperformed their point differential or their win loss, their win loss projection by the most in the league. Um, that could swing. It's still close enough that OKC or the Utah Jazz, maybe the Pacers could jump them. I don't think it'll be the Pacers. But yeah, the Kings, fantastic for them. Your number five best bet cashes out. Your number four best bet looked like it was dead in the water. It is still probably dead in the water adjacent. But San Antonio, there it was set at 22 and a half. That is a lot of games to lose. And yes, the Spurs got worse, but they were a 34 win team with a 40 win differential with Greg Popovich last year. And they've been bad. Yeah, I thought they could win 26 games. And man, was I high on the hog with that five and two start, Danny. (laughs) 
I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. Uh, back in the, back in the, you'll get the word right, but is it Halcyon days when Josh Primo yeah. was still on this team? Oh, yeah. So the biggest thing that I missed on these guys, I thought that their defense could be semi respectable. And Same. frankly, looking at their personnel before the season, there wasn't a reason to think they'd be this bad. The Yaka Pearl seemed like an above average defensive center. Vassell and Johnson on the wing seems fine. Trey Jones, actually a really good defensive point guard. And now, any, they just they haven't played the way you would hope they played a lot of young guys they you know they've been sitting guys for even the slightest provocation it seems like from an injury standpoint Vassell has missed time and so I mean they're if they do somehow magically hit this over like they their their point differential is indicative that they actually should have been a lot worse they should have been and yeah San Antonio well they're all, all added into mitigating factors so San Antonio has the differential of a 19.6 win team which is of course well below this 22.5 however we talk a lot about shooting luck on the positive side especially because that can it, it can be the fool's gold like New Orleans and Philly I brought that up a fair amount the Knicks a couple years ago where it's like oh that's doing that the opposite can be pertinent as well. San Antonio yeah. is not only giving up the highest opponent shooting from three by a mile and a half, 39.6% when second worst is 38. So like they're, they're further, they're further from second. They're almost further from second to worst than second to worst is to the median in the NBA. Like it's, it's, it's a little bit closer than that, but it's in that range. San Antonio also giving up 47.4% on long twos. That forty-four, that that forty-seven point four is also about one point five percent worse than the second, the second worst number on long twos. So, like this is the in terms of relative to league median, this has to be one of the most aberrationally bad shooting sh- opponent shooting seasons of all time. Now they're giving up a lot of open ones when I watch them, and they're they're conceding some, but that is something to consider at least loosely going into next year. Yeah, and the Spurs. You might say, well, is it because they're giving up so many uncontested threes? Yeah, that's part of it. They actually have the highest percentage in the league given up. uh, 53.2% of uh, opponent three-pointers are uncontested. And to give you the spread on that, Miami is number one at 39.5. And then, in so they uh, really close out to the three-point line. And then after that, you've got Cleveland and actually, interestingly, Sacramento at 45. So, man, Miami is quite the outlier on that one. That's probably something to talk more about at some point. But And and there are a bunch of other teams, too, that are giving up a large percentage of uncontested threes. However, the Spurs also have, not only do they give up the most uncontested threes, but they also are allowing the worst percentage by far in those uncontested threes. Opponents are shooting 42.4% on uncontested threes this season. And then opponents are also shooting the second best percentage on contested threes which is 36%. So they definitely have gotten unlucky. Their three-point defense has not been good. They're giving up a lot of open shots, but they also uh, are getting unlucky in terms of how many. Spurs 23-24 over, baby. Yeah, yeah, maybe so. Well, a team that I should have picked the over on is the Utah Jazz. And what I this this will be my dumbest pick we'll, we'll, if, if we end up going through that whole exercise because I believed in Danny Ainge's 
capacity and willingness to gut this roster further than he had by the start of the season. However, I identified this at the time that their roster as constituted was much, much better than a 24 win team. And that didn't even include factoring in the massive improvement that Lowry Markkinen has had and some of the other elements that have been in place for them. They got better years from some of their support players than I anticipated. Walker Kessler being like one of the best defensive centers this year. Probably didn't see that one coming. No, no. And, And they had stability from guys like Mike Conley and playing Kelly Olenek allowed them to get this offense. Will Hardy did a really good job, which was harder to predict because he had never been a head coach before. Highly regarded assistant, never been a head coach. And so the idea, like in some ways, what makes me feel stupid about it is I picked the Pacers over for very similar reasons and should have just done the exact same thing. And I didn't. And I feel dumb. Yeah, I thought this wasn't going to be that they weren't going to be some juggernaut. I thought maybe they could be a high 20s type of win team, maybe even low 30s when completely with this roster. And of course, Markinen, Mike Conley staying healthy, Kessler playing as well as he did. Jordan Clarkson uh, having a, a better year than expected. There are a lot of things, of course, that helped. Their defense was just as bad as I thought it would. But yeah, I had these guys in like the bottom five in the league in offense. And uh, yeah, no, they actually were a top five offense like most of the season. <laughs> That's, and I they would and they would have been top five oh. without the Conley trade. I mean, when is the last time that I would have thought a team would bottom five because that's I think that's usually easier to predict than defense I think offense is usually easier to predict than defense and it's especially easy to predict when a team's not gonna be good like we know who the really good offensive players are like yeah you could take a leap sure uh, I mean OKC is another one actually I had them probably in the bottom five and they were gonna get it they weren't top five but they've been above about average maybe above for a lot of the year so yeah I mean that that was my I was still way off on this jazz team even though I did pick the over and I think the biggest reason reason i picked the over was i was just i wasn't sure that what would happen in terms of trades and i thought they were significantly better than this as constituted and i wasn't going to just count on the trades happening and then of course they've even been better than this after the logical trades anyway so to kind of start in the process of wrapping this up you and i disagreed on three eastern conference teams you're going to win two of those in all likelihood and i'm going to win one that being i get the bucks you get the heat and the nets and then in the in the west we disagreed five times and you're going to get four of those five in all likelihood minnesota phoenix sacramento and utah are already set you already won all those and then presumably denver is going to hit their over and i will get that one so you as as is often the case you beat me in that but as is also often the case you beat me overall you beat me in the head-to-heads and then for whatever reason my best bets do better yeah i, I if i ever did actually like go to vegas and do this i probably would just put down money on all 30 teams so what's a what's our uh, our each of our overall records i haven't put that all the way together yet um i would ballpark it yeah i can i can count it up but sure. this is the projected as of now so i'm 11 and 4 in the east and uh nine uh, and uh eight and seven in the west so 19 and 11 is what i'm projected and then for me it looks like i'm going as a preliminarily a reciprocal 10 and 5 in the east and 5 and 10 in the west which is distinctly not great but an even 500 yeah last year i think it was i you beat me for the first time last year right uh, yeah I, I beat you by yeah. one but we were both like well under 500 i think i was like 12 i won 12 you won 13 or something like that so the, good to get back on the winning track here but yeah so what were the the best bets then and how did those go your so your top five uh phillies over which is 
is looking good. Dallas is over, which is out. Charlotte's over, which is out. Spurs over, which is looking dicey. Sacramento over, which is already good. And then your favorite under, because we all, both of us picked five overs as our best bets. Uh, yours was Chicago. That's looking pretty favorable for you. Mine were Cleveland's over, which is looking good. Memphis is over, which is mostly good. Philly's over. Denver's over. And then Dallas's hasn't, won't cash. And then Detroit's under, which has already. So I may end up going four of five, or if we want to count it this way, five of six. You're looking at uh, probably two of five and three of six. So what would you say was your smartest pick? I think I'm in some ways most proud of the Cleveland over just because I had the theory of the team right. And like I, I had a I had a real concept there. I had a belief in that. I picked it as my best bet on the board and I think it bore out. So I'm, I'm happiest with that one. Yeah, I got I guess for me, it probably has to be Sacramento. It just the, the line was way too low. Uh, that, that was all, all it was. I thought they had pretty good talent and that they would be respectable. And we knew they'd be pushing through at least most of the year. Dumbest pick, I already told people, it's Utah. I violated some of my own rules. I thought the team was way better than this at their version. And generally, trades don't happen in the beginning part of the season. They exceeded it by more than I expected them to. Obviously, I picked their under. But like the overall, my process on it was wrong. And so that's why it's my dumbest pick. Yeah. I think I just generally too would rather be right about what a team was at full strength and hey if I lose it because they completely make themselves non-competitive at the end of the season I'm okay I'm more okay with that kind of a loss than like picking them that they'll be bad because they're tanking at the end and to go under and that's what I did with OKC and I again I thought that was just foolish I uh, particularly because I I really am a believer in Mark Degnault and I should have believed uh, bad beat. I think we're going to have to wait on that until we see where things go. Why? What do you... Uh, oh, like in terms of it just being like really close? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess I would go at this... I mean, I'm going to miss Milwaukee probably by five and a half. And basically all of that is going to be point differential. Sure. So e- even though I'm not... The odds are that they would have been right at it anyway. I, I mean, unless there's one... I don't think there are any ones where the team is like way overperforming their point differential. And that's what's going to have them go... like. Like over by like 0.5 or something like that. Denver too is the other one for me where they're basically right in line with their point differential, but they're going to go well over. And it just like the, the reason I consider it a bad beat is like, oh, you're such an idiot. Like, you, how can you not believe in Milwaukee and Denver? Also, two fan bases that seem to think that I don't think enough of their team. And so, yeah, for them to go oh, five and a half over from Milwaukee. Oh, but yeah, good. It, it might, not, I think it's going to end up being a win. But if Memphis goes under, that's my bad beat. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that would suck. Lucky win, if any. Hmm. Maybe Phoenix would be up there for me, just because I think they have they were totally decent. I mean, again, I wasn't like way under on them though. Uh, actually, for for a bad beat, maybe I can say the Wiz. Kristaps Porzingis stayed healthy, and that's why I lost. I, I think that's <laughs> that's reasonable. Uh, not that I wasn't rooting for him in the in a macro sense to stay healthy, but I think it's this has been the healthiest season of his career, base. And yeah, I, I don't really have a particularly lucky win. You could make an argument argument in certain circum- circles depending on where denver ends up but i don't think of that as super lucky yeah. actually well, when you like, have more wins to choose from it's easier to find find a lucky one uh <laughs> you can't see my eye roll but i'm sure you can <laughs> feel it um actually maybe bulls bulls uh point differential is like going to be about the same as that and i was very convinced about their underhead at one of their best bets uh, one of the best bets um your best win over me you would say is 
I, I'm pretty satisfied with Denver. Like, yeah. I'm pretty happy with that. I'm going to say Brooklyn under. As a great man once said, thank you, Kyrie. <laughs> All right, well... I just knocked my mouse off the table. That probably means that it's time to wrap this up. Thanks so much uh, for listening. If you're on the public pod, please consider subscribing. We're going to have a lot of awesome stuff going into the playoffs. And then, of course, the draft and free agency. Great time to be a Dunked on Prime subscriber. Talk to you all tomorrow. Till then. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.